geek out. Not too strongly. <laughs> on a weekly basis. Hmm. Um, I'm your host this week, Adil, and joining me this week is Ben. Hey. Can I say this week again? Only time will tell. So this week, we're talking about <laughs> the first half of The Mandalorian Season 2. I, I mean, as of now, I think Season 2, Episode 5, just screened a few days ago, but mm. we're just going to be talking about Episodes 1 through 4. Um, and, yeah, so um, first impressions, Ben. Uh, first impressions, uh, it's good. I like it so far. Um, I like the sort of the direction that they have uh, gone in. I, I know when we spoke about the first season and what we were looking forward to in the second season, uh, we mentioned kind of how they would take the Mandalorian and the child off away from grief. And um, what's her name? What's her name? Completely uh, gone from my mind. Cara Dune. Yes, yes. Uh, how they would how they would split that and and not kind of make it this ensemble kind of cast moving forward. And I think they've done that quite well and moved into telling some quite quite individual episodes. Really, and we've we've gone straight into that kind of uh, very episodic uh, sort of nature to it, whilst having some tying elements in between each of the each of the episodes. So it's it's kind of gone the way I wanted it to, really, which was which is perfect. Yeah, agreed. Um, uh, I would just say uh, what a since you brought it up, um, I think they've done a they did a good job of um, sort of giving a mini arc, which mm. we'll talk about as we go through things. Um, and sort of, it, I thought it was a good way of introducing other cast members by going to specific planets again, but kind of more, it didn't feel shoehorned, um, and it was just kind of like, yeah, I'd buy that, um, because when you're on the run, you kind of want to help find people to help you out, and they're going to be known quantities, that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, my first impression was, was it felt, uh, it feels a bit like Adventure of the Week, which is kind of what I asked for. Mm, very much. Um, but the, yeah, but there is a through line, which we'll, we'll sort of talk about more. So let's start with the series, uh, uh opener, which was season two, episode one, chapter 10? Nine? Chapter nine. Nine? Yeah. Yeah. The Marshal. Which, ooh, uh, do you want to give a quick rundown of the Marshal? Yeah, sure. Um, so, how how does it open? Basically, uh, the Mando is uh, uh, goes back to um, Tatooine, looking for other Mandalorians. So he needs to find uh, he needs to find other Mandalorians to be able to uh, get their network, their intelligence network, to understand where he has to then take the child or find the Jedi. You know, looking for the quest that he was given at the end of season one, and uh, he he hears that there is a Mandalorian out in this old mining town uh, on Tatooine in the desert. And yeah. He goes out there and he is encountered uh, by uh, the sheriff of this this small town, um, who's played very very well by Timothy Oliphant. Uh, oh, which I, I, I was, was so happy when he yeah. he takes his helmet off. Which, of course, in the Mandalorian lore, as far as we know, you never do. Mm -hmm. So you and they like they have him take the helmet off, put it on the table, and you're like, oh, uh oh, and then it cuts to, uh it's 
Timothy Oliphant. Yep. Fucking right. I know. Um, Absolutely brilliant. I mean, my one of his fav- my favorite roles of his is in Justified, yep. where he literally plays a U.S. marshal, mm. and it's called the Marshal, and you're like, it's on the nose, but I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's kind of like a he escape. Yeah. So so he explains. Uh, uh, so sorry, he shows up. You, you were in the middle of the thing. Um, yeah. So the uh, he his his little backstory is that this town that he was in was uh, when, uh, with the fall of the empire. Um, like the miners' guild, or some group of people came in and sort of like took over the town, shot the place up, and occupied it essentially. And he managed to escape, um, and was walking through the desert for days. Was picked up by Jowers, and traded a bunch of crystals which he stole from them out of the back of the truck, their their, their hover truck before he left. Trades that with Jawas. For a set of Mandalorian armor, which is well, his freedom and Mandalorian, yes, and a little bit of water as well, yeah. um, and it's uh, Boba Fett's armor. Uh, yeah, that's it's so obvious and so juicy. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it kind of you know it, it edges the idea that um, that it might be him, but it obviously it isn't. It's the Marshal instead who's using his armor. Um, you know, with all of the talk of there being a Mandalorian out in the desert yeah. and all of this sort of stuff, uh, but um, I will say uh, on top of that, like they—it's clearly an Easter egg, right? Yeah, they don't put a button on it. It's just Mandalorian armor that he found, that the Jawas found. If you didn't know it, that's fine. I think that's exactly yes. how you want to yeah. do an Easter egg. Um, it's kind of like super fans, you know what whose armor that mm-hmm. is, huh? That tells you something new about the universe, but also. Boba Fett's armor. It's yeah. the first Mandalorian yeah. armor we've ever seen, and it's back. Cool. But also, this guy just needed armor, yep. and the Jawas gave it to him. Done. I love. I love no, how kind no, of like ragtaggy looks as well. You know, sort of with it over his normal top and his trousers, with his sort of his gun holster and things like against the Mandalorian, who who looks, you know, at least now looks sort of packed in his uh, in his specially made armor. Um, you know, we yeah, have that, yeah, that, that right. pullback to the first couple of episodes where he had this quite sort of pieced together set of armor, um, and how he sort of felt at the beginning of the uh, of the first season. Um, yeah, so I think they did that. They they showed him the character. They clothed him very very well and gave enough intrigue into who he was going to be. Um, I think that's a really good point because at no point did I really think it was Boba Fett. And you're right, mm. it's because he was so kind of bedraggled. Not only that, but the way he held himself, but mostly yes. like, yeah, you're right, a lot, a lot of the costuming did that. Mm. Mm. And they then, um, have a conversation, let's say, where the Mando says, I have to take your armor. Sorry, you're not Mandalorian. It's got to come with me. And, uh, Timothy Oliphant's character basically says, help us kill the crate dragon. That's you know terrorizing the area that lives around here, uh, and I'll give it to you. Uh, and then they go on a lovely little adventure with some sand people. And yeah, uh, yeah. I thought this was a really nice touch of. It didn't quite make sense because like in, I'm pretty sure in season one he didn't know the sand people language that well, or like he he seemed a lot more fluent at least. But I can't remember exactly how much he did. I, now that I think about it, he did negotiate in that. It's because I've blocked episode five, season one from a memory where he does negotiate passage with the sand, yes. sand people. Yeah. And I just didn't like that episode. I take it all back. This makes sense. It's just rehashing. 
skills and relationships he already has, which is a nice touch. Rather than like Tatooine's just a known quantity backdrop, it really felt um, it, it sort of made sense. Same thing with like he goes back to Mandalorian, so um, the lady ship uh, sort of port slash mechanic lady mm-hmm. we, from season one we saw a couple times is back in it just for you know again because this is obviously if he went to Tatooine he would go and chat with her yeah um so I thought that was a really again nice touch of giving us characters from season one without making it feel like he but still making it feel like he was by himself yes yeah absolutely and not having to then rely on completely new characters as well and whilst this does center around sort of, you know, a, a very remote part of Tatooine with, with characters we haven't seen before, yeah, there is that link as well back into, back into season one, which is good. Um, it's, a, it's kind of like a running thing as well. He goes to a place, uh, and asks, you know, has anyone seen any Mandalorians? And then has a conversation which leads to trouble, basically, uh, which is something we see in later episode. Um, but, um, for this, yeah, they, they, they have to go into the desert to the, the, the lair of a crate dragon, which is absolutely massive and, um, and kill it basically. Uh, the, it's, it's, uh, terrorizing the sand people as well. And part of their culture, um, something that I read from another, uh, a Star Wars book I'm reading at the moment, um, is that, um, Tuscan Raiders have to kill crate dragons as kind of a rite of passage. Uh, when they get to sort of like a certain age. So it ties in with that as well. So it's nice to have those crossovers. It wasn't just him and the sheriff going to do this thing. They brought in, um, you know, other groups to kind of come and help them. And there's a, and there's a little bit of nice um, kind of back and forth between the inhabitants of the town and the sound people in the way they do have to cooperate a little bit, but there's still that kind of animosity between them. Um, because yeah, and I like that they, they so. sort of tag it a couple of times, but it's not super detrimental-ish. Mm. Like, it, it felt like the right balance of revisit that they don't trust each other, but also yeah. that they need, they need each other. Um, and maybe just, you know, I'm, a, I'm enjoying the show, so I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that, like, when they're, like, right before they, like, start the fight with the sandworm, I'm just going to call it a sandworm, um, they, um, you know, someone bumps into someone else or something like that. And mm. then there's like, Argh! and like no punches quite happen. And you're like, I kind of figured that the first version of the script had a, a, a little bit of a fight. Yes, and then they yes. just, for, for like time constraints, edited it to just the verbal exchange. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it also, it's good. And I wonder whether they'll be bringing Timothy Oliphant back at yeah. some point. Because it also gives his character a chance to, you know, he doesn't trust the sound people either, um, but it gives him a chance to show his kind of authority over everyone. You know, he's the one that breaks up the, the scuffle that's kind of coming up between them. He's the one that kind of is leading the, uh, you know, the assault against the, uh, against the character. And Mando kind of, whilst you may think that it's mostly him coming up with strategy and stuff, he seems to take a back seat a little bit in terms of doing kind of heavy lifting until the inevitable where it all goes slightly wrong and yeah. uh, the Crow Dragon just basically starts to burn sand people with its acid icor. Yeah. yeah, so I think like obviously uh we could talk at length about this app, mm. but uh uh I think I just wanted to so so basically 
they 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 lure it out, and there's a big fight scene involving jetpacks and mm. mountains, and it's really cool. Uh, I just want I I think it was a nice tag that they're like, hey, the the truce is like you help us kill this crate dragon. You let them have the meat and, yes. and the icor. Yep. They say specifically icor, and I was like, "Oh, that's going to come into play." Um, and they'll leave you alone until one of you breaks a truth truce, which mm-hmm. I thought was such a power move because it's like, "Look, we're the desert people. You're a little island. Like, actually, the deal you will like is we we're both like we both hate this thing, but you're going to help us kill it." We're going to take all the good stuff from it and we're just going to leave you alone. And that's going to be a good deal for you. And it's not threatening. It's just so like practically said and Mm. no one like pushes. You're like, yeah, that is exactly how it's done. And I thought it was a nice uh, one of those, again, moments of just really tight writing Mm. where it's like, this isn't a thing where, you you know, if if the writer thought about it, they might try and put a pride scene in or like, no, it should be an equal deal. No, because that's just trope heavy. Nah, just that. Um, and then later in the fight scene, we see why they mentioned the I-Core, because it's, as you said, essentially acid. It, like, just doesn't, it's like, it, it hits sand people, animated sand people, and they just disintegrate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like, they just yeah. disappear. It, it's wild. And I kind of like it, because we're so used to disintegration being by beam weapons and stuff, to mm-hmm. see, like, it's literally like, splash some water and you're gone like, yeah they, it's they, not they, a lot. they literally melt rather than them kind yeah. of phasing away or something like that they, they yeah. do melt and they, i think they got the graphic in that quite good there's you know we talked about the first season where there are a couple of moments where the sort of the cgi didn't work as well and i think this episode does highlight some of that you know when the mando's on the speeder bike a couple of times um is it the end of this episode or the start of the second episode where he gets taken off the speeder bike? Um, um, it's the next episode. Hmm. It's the very beginning of the next episode. Yes. But it, it, you know, you can you can see that they've gone right. We've got a real CGI heavy elements in this episode, and then the same with episode two as well. You know, there's very CGI heavy element in that as well, and it's. You, you can basically see where their budget's gone on certain parts. Like, well, this is just a little cutaway scene where he's on the speeder bike. doesn't need to look perfect. You know? So there are a couple of elements in that episode yeah. as well. But the, at least with the Crate Dragon, the, the Sam people, the Sam people being all, um, you know, practical effects on all the actors and things, um, apart from when they're melted, because that's very yeah. hard to do uh, in real life. But yeah, I thought it, it looked good as well. Yeah, um, and I, I liked the... I thought it was... I mean, it doesn't... It, it's very visually stimulating the way. Mm. So basically, like, it's a cave, and the thing comes out of the cave to eat the offering that the sand people have given it. And then it immediately retreats because it senses danger, and they have to, like, bait it out, which I yeah. thought was really cool. And so you have this idea that, like, it has free roam of the desert, but it's sort of stuck in its hole. You just get that because of the way it's sort of filmed and set up. And then when they sort of ex- – basically the idea is bait it out, blow it up, blow it up and we'll be fine. It's like, they blow it up. It's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, sprays a bunch of, like, people with i and then retreats into its cave. And then you find out that they got the whole thing wrong because it bursts out of the top of the mountain mm. and just starts fire-hosing i out. Yeah. Just like, there's a bunch of you little things. I'm just going to 
use up my stomach acid. Yeah, and, and, and it comes up out of the ground behind them. You know, yeah, it's got this network of tunnels underneath, or it's able to dig its way, tunnel its way as yeah. it kind of goes. But yeah, it's the, the sense as you say that it has this. You know, it makes me think like, what is what has been bigger as well within this universe on Tatooine at least that has made the Crate Dragon evolutionary want to sleep in a cave? But there's yeah. something that might be big enough to get that that they have to have somewhere to sleep. Or or like is it just that it needs to cool off? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah all kinds of stuff. Um but yeah, so so and and so they they you know the worst part was just that the Mandalorian sees uh whatchamacallit, I can't remember Dubak? Mm-hmm. No, Dubak are the lizard things. Yeah, they? the Bantha. Bantha, thank you. The Bantha covered in explosives that was just carrying them and then he basically like baits the the sandworm to eat him and the yep. bantha and then uses his armor's electricity powers to annoy it to spit him out but not the bantha and then hits like explode and blows it up and then <laughs> that's basically that then it's just about finishing the deal and going back to town mm-hmm. like, I, like, like, when that happened my instant thought well I, I mean before that even happened i could i knew what the what was going to happen uh, and I instantly thought, why didn't they just do this in the first place? Why didn't they just load a banther up with a load of explosives and just get it to eat it in the first place and blow it up from the inside? Like, Especially because they the whole plan was bait it with food mm. and then blow it up. Yeah, I felt it felt kind of silly. And again, like having been eaten and then spat, spat out um, was just a little too on the nose. Yeah, and also. He comes out and he's covered in Icor. I get and like Beskar is like basically magic mm-hmm. armor, right? Yeah, it's just nothing. Not only is it blaster proof ish, but like also acid proof. <laughs> but then his like cloth cape is yeah. fine, and I, I I was that that was the one part where I was annoyed because it's like you didn't need to have him eaten, and like Beskar doesn't have to be perfect amazing yes. armor it yes. can just be good against blasters that's enough to make it really cool and special in the universe and like him getting eaten and then him using zap and it throwing up but conveniently not any of the explosives like it just that's where my suspension of disbelief kind of died but it was fine overall but it was just mm. like it feels like it's it's like yeah like it jumps and dives and like eats the bantha and he like has to hit his jets and darts away, but on like lo- linearly and like has to like eat dirt for a few me- meters or something like that would be just more satisfying. And then he like slams on the, yeah. you know, detonator that it just would have felt more authentic is the weird word to say. But I just, again, I felt like his, he is just very pushed as an action scene. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and like why I like this series is because it's more like a Western where, you get more bedraggled. You're not always winning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's dirty. And it, this is like, yeah, he's covered in icor dirty, but it yeah. felt, it, it felt a little pushed. And a, apart from that, not to spend, you know, all of our time yeah. on episode one, but it opens up and it is, you know, it absolutely shows you its intentions of it, where it gets its, uh, inspiration from. You know, this episode was a Western, absolutely sort of like through and through from yeah. the way it's shot to the interactions they have with the characters, the characters themselves. Like, it is absolutely a Western. And, and in it, in the first season, it did jump between kind of being overtly a Western and then having those more sort of um, samurai 
film sort of sensibilities to them. You know, there are differences in sort of direction and the way that they're shot in terms of the episodes and how they mimic those different sort of inspirations, even though one is kind of inspired by the other anyway. Um, but yeah, this was very, very overtly a Western, um, which changed completely with episode two. Um, and I, yeah. I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you, uh, um, sort of get into episode two, but it, episode two kind of, it made me think, is this going to be like a monster of the week season? Uh, which it isn't, luckily, um, so much. I mean, there's a, there's an argument to kind of suggest that it could be like a monster of the week season. Yeah. I think it's, it's still trying to be like a kung fu western series of like where it's like bottle location episodes, but mm-hmm. there's, yeah, so that's exactly how I felt. I was sort of, I think one of the problems I had was I watched all four kind of in a row. Yeah. And so, without time to digest, I did feel like, after the first three episodes, this doesn't feel as strong. And I think that's just because because it has this tone of, and there's not quite a a lot of connection in the first couple episodes. You're kind of like, okay, I mean, I kind of wanted it to be them on the road, but this Mm. feels more disconnected. Maybe I got, maybe I was just a monkey's paw wished. Um but uh but yeah we'll we'll get into it. So so let's talk about chapter 10 the passenger. It um it opens as you said uh, with him lit- so what I liked is it opens immediately after the end of the last yeah. episode. Um oh we didn't actually talk about at the end of episode um 9 or oh, chapter uh, 9. Today I wonder whether we would mention or not. Mm. Yeah, we'll just quickly mention that there is someone with some scarred figure watching him leave with Boba Fett Fett's armor. Is it Boba Fett? Is I mean, it really feels like it should be, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't know. And I think we could leave it at that, just yeah. uh, because no one knows. And but it is an important tag of the episode. Yes, so it is. then but, we uh, just just to it does yeah. it does look. I don't know whether it is the actor. I don't know what is sort of CG and what is not. But it does look like the actor who played Django Fett in the prequel trilogy. Uh, yeah, yes. I mean. And I don't think it was anyone was credited for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, where am I here? Again, yeah, yeah it gives, so, gives credence to the idea that maybe we'll come back to Tatooine at some point. We might see Timothy Oliphant's character again, maybe yeah. later on. Or, or the scarred person will now follow them, yeah. although it'd be weird if they just were hanging out on Tatooine for no real reason. So mm. we'll see. Um, I did like that. So another reason why you might think... so. They, there was a nice line in the middle of the, uh, that, which was the Jawas were cleaning out uh, uh, an empty Sarlacc, Sarlacc yes. pit. And like, there's no such thing as an empty Sarlacc pit. Because, again, the Sarlacc digests for a thousand years or whatever, right? And so I thought that was a really nice tag for, the again, those who are in the know of, like, hey, Sarlacc's dead. Yep. What does that mean? That's how, like, explains how the armor is fine, but also how did it die? Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway, so... We cut, we cut to Mando speeding back, uh, across the deserts in Tatooine. He goes to a bit of a valley and there's like three generic aliens, one who looks kind of like a half sand person, half Jawa. Mm. And I love that then they're creating an ambush, uh, and it's totally mechanical. Essentially, it's just like the standard cover of rope and dust. And when they come on horseback, pull it taut. And that's exactly what happens. He just gets clotheslined, and it. But then his um, speeder like 
tumbles twice and explodes. And you're right, the CG isn't great. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get this nice little fight scene of basically reminding us that Mando's very good at this. Because they, like, disarm him and he, like, punches. And I thought this was a nice point that Beskar is still just a hard metal because you just hear kind of comically them, like, having a fist fight and being like, Ponk, Ponk. Yeah, uh, and then and then the Jawa thing like um, raises a rifle, but then he uses his little um, grappling hook type wrist cannon to grab it out of the way, knocks everyone out. Then the guy's got a knife on the kid uh, and the, or the child, I should say, and then he's like, "Take anything you want, anything at all. Give me the kid." And then he's like, "I want your best car, fucking jetpack." He's like, "Cool, here you go." And you just know as soon as he like lets the guy get away, you're like, so how, he's got a remote for that, right? And sure enough, he goes beep boop boop, and then like fires it up, uh, and the guy drops. And then I, the I love lands. just love the thud. You don't even see him like spiral into the air or anything. It just cuts and it just shows him in the just going boop on the ground. Yeah, like, exactly. Yes, like perfect. it shows him leaves the screen, then it cuts to a wide shot, sort of out the desert from the point of view of the child and the Mandalorian, and then it just ho- waits there, and then you just. Wonk. Mm-hmm. It doesn't pan or anything. You just see the end of his free fall. Um, so, uh, yeah. So then he goes back to Tatooine and says, well, my lead for the Mandalorian's no good, but at least got saved this armor. Uh, and the, um, the mechanic lady's like, I'm playing a game. She's like, I've got a line to someone who seems to know something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, and it's this, this weird frog lady. This frog lady needs to, to basically go to the estuary moon Trask. So it needs to go to Trask because, uh, her line will die out if these eggs aren't fertilized and her husband is Bad. on, on Trask yeah. and they need to get there, but the eggs are super fragile. Gotta go sublight. Yep. Um, and, the eggs are in this, like, little giant jar. Um, and so they start going, these, like, sub like, this is ridiculous. And this is where I felt like this was, like, this, these, this episode and the one after it, probably, I felt were just Firefly. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yeah, now this is a space western, but specifically that space western, yep. because it's like, they're, they're not, bouncing around the universe and they're like bumping into people they shouldn't and trying to bluff and then ships all rickety but they're kind of getting away with it i'm like this is fucking firefly guys which is fine um so basically as they're going there they uh they're confronted by some x-wings uh and um they basically say turn on your transponder i can't like they just go through a rigmarole and finally Mm -hmm. he's like Gotta bounce, guys! Yeah, they, they, like, mention, uh, they mention him being at the prison ship, the New Republic oh, yeah, prison so, ship. Yeah, yeah. So, so they like basically, they they finally say, if you can't, if your transponder isn't working, you'll have to come with us so we can verify you're not an, an, an Empire ship. Yeah. And he's like, oh, here it goes, it works. And he's like crossing his finger and they're like, cool, thanks. And I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. you are part of this prison break or something. Uh, and so he like dodges and crash lands and like the ship is busted yeah absolutely uh, it's yeah. like proper ripped open and uh he's like ah crap uh and then um meanwhile 
he's consistently throughout this episode stopping the child from eating the eggs. Because <laughs> the child's like, what's this? Um, this is good. Stop so, it. There's so, like many, so many little cuts where he's just like, stop. And he just pulls one out and just eats it. Like when, it, when he yeah. thinks everyone is not looking at him, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and so, I mean, there was a big uproar about this in on Twitter when it happened because people were like, "This is genocide, this is terrible," mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And and uh, I think it's a good thing to mention, which is that it. Like we put, one of the excuses is like she says, "My line is over." She doesn't say my species, but also yes. it, these are the like I think when people like try and hem that line, it's like. No, it's awful because these are sentient beings who happen to be born from eggs. Mm-hmm. That's doesn't matter if it's genocide or not. I don't know why people think that's like the the yeah that's the line. That's, yeah, the line yeah. should be oh these are these grow up to be sentient things. Although they are unfertilized, and so boy, am I going to avoid the rest of this conversation and just say um, it did feel a little awkward that it was clearly comic relief, but mm. this is like a weird living sentient beings but, line that like, I mean, but also, you know, what it's, it's, it's an awkward conversation to have. Like at what point can you, and can you portray certain elements of what happens in life? And obviously this is fiction, uh, but people eat what? live yeah. animals all the fucking time. Right. Yeah. You know? And I think what's important is we've already actually talked about this, and seen this in season one, which was fully grown sentient beings are harvested as food by other mm. other animals or aliens or whatever you want, sentient beings, all the time in Star Wars. Like, they yeah. already said, like, the first episode of season one was like, hey, we don't care if you're wanted, we just want to eat this gland of yours or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he was wanted, and that's why the Mandalorian, like, messes those bad guys up. But it's like, and I think it's, it's the, it shows that the child is growing up a bit because it's pushing boundaries and not listening yeah, to him yeah. and doing what it wants. And I think, yeah, it's a weird thing that they don't deal with, but I think that's fine. It helps. Like, not everything needs to be a button. Like, he needs to learn the lesson that you don't eat eggs of blah, blah, blah. But it's like, he feeds this thing bone broth and eggs mm. all the, and like other things that are clearly non-vegetarian all the time. I don't think it was a problem, even though it blew up on Twitter. I just wanted to bring that part up. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 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 he's constantly trying to eat these eggs because they're clearly delicious. Uh, and then they they realize that the frog lady basically bounced, and she has taken all her eggs to uh, like a hot spring thing mm. in the in the middle of this icy cave, and she's like clearly just being a mother. She's like, it's warm here, like yep. basically. Uh, yeah, and your ship's busted. Then, it's it's an ice yeah. planet. Uh, I'm really cold, just hanging out in the ship with massive holes my, in. My I kids are going to die. And then Mandalorian is like, "We can't like this. I can't protect you here." Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the child has wandered off, and what do you know? Finds an egg and cracks it and <laughs> well, opens and it. Weird, <laughs> like lizardy, spidery, like insecty thing, and just goes ow. And you're like, "Yep, makes sense to me." Yep. Thing likes eggs. Um, but then the eggs start hatching by themselves and m- big mama spider comes. It's like half spider, half crab. Like it ha- seems like more exoskeleton-y mm. and has this weird, like gross squid-like mouth. Yes. Um, and so they're getting chased and they run back into, um, 
the ship, which again has this giant hole in it. And Mando's just like shooting and shooting and he's getting webbed and then he's breaking out and he's got t- tried to get them go to go upstairs and they get to upstairs, but the door won't close because it's cleaning clogged by all these spiders. And mm. it's actually, so this is like very horror movie vibes because there's just so yeah. many. Of them. And it's like even Mando can't deal with just a swarm, yeah. a swarm of spider things. And it's like, they're boned. They're just boned. Even when the door closes, there are a bunch in the um, in the one room that's the, the that is sealed off, which is the pilot's cabin. Uh, and like they finally kill the things, but now they're all swarming, and the big dumb giant mom thing, uh, presumably egg laying uh, spider, jumps on the top of them, and you're like, "Well, how are they going to get out of this?" Yeah, one? and that's where. They just get saved by the X-Wing pilots in a move I have decided to call Deus X-Wing. Because <laughs> I was so let down. Because not only that, but then the X-Wing pilots just like shoot seven times and suddenly the swarm's gone. Yep. And you're like, no, these things clearly didn't care. Unless it was just the mom that killed the queen and the rest will scatter. That's the only thing I can think of. But it felt so unearned. Mm. I think it's just the pacing of the like. It's not like the X-wing pilots like fought for a while, and I bet that's not like another editing thing. But it's like cool, we're done, uh, and the X-wing pilots are like, so we reviewed the records while we were chasing you down, and you know, I should do it. while you while you did like help a guy escape, uh, you also trapped three bad guys that were wanted. And you clearly tried to put your life on the line to save the guy who the bad mm, guys kills. Yes. Um, so how, and, and so they're like, and they're just sort of leave it like that. And he's like, so how about you help me fix my ship? We can, and I won't talk and I won't worry about the bounty on those three criminals. And they're like, how about this is what I like. Cause this feels legit. They're like, how about we just don't take you in. <laughs> <laughs> essentially i can't remember the line and then they like fly off and yep. they um and i i thought that was really good because again that's it made it it regrounded it to not be like and everything works out perfectly it's mm. like nope you're now in a junk heap where one room is not exposed to space uh yeah so that that was that episode it felt kind of throwaway but a fun. little it, it was quite slowly paced as well you know there's lots of uh slow parts in between a few little sort of action scenes with, with the main thrust of what's happening kind of towards the end when the when the spider insect creatures appear and and kind of everything happens there and as you say the tone shifts slightly to become a little bit more horror um uh, in in regard to them you know at least the 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 viewer thinking that there is kind of no way out of this um and yeah and and the little sort of throwaway resolution to that really yeah like I said, it was the pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. But what can you do? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, episode three, I really like episode three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you. So, so I, I think I, I managed to put all my complaints in uh, on two. So let's. Yeah, why don't you tell us about uh, episode three? That that's chapter eleven, the heiress. So uh, they get to Trask, and. Um, he he drops off uh, the passenger, the frog lady, who meets oh, yeah. her husband, who is there. So they, they get to where they need to. I think one and of the there's best... at least fifteen eggs. Yes, left. yeah. I think one of the best scenes in that is where they're coming into land hot, 
and it's all and you're like oh it's they're going so quickly he's gonna pull it out he's gonna pull out and he kind of does only for then the ship to shit itself and just pitch into the water and you yeah. get this very cool scene of this uh i don't I, i've never seen it before but it's kind of like an 8080 but with a huge crane on it you know this yeah. big movable crane that, that pulls them back out of the wall which i thought was very uh which was very good um but he he then obviously walks around the town. They were told, he was told that someone there knows something about a Mandalorian. Yeah, that's why he took the job. Because yep. she said her husband knew of someone who yes. looked like a Mandalorian. So it's another case of him going into a cantina, asking around a little bit, and essentially being not kind of double-crossed. Uh, he's told that he, that he can be taken to where this Mandalorian is, gets on this boat and is essentially let's be clear it's a fishing boat it's a fishing boat yes like a trawler not not not, yeah not a like futuristic fishing boat it's just a fishing boat yep which i loved it's like yeah actually really you just need a boat and some nets yeah i I think the the aesthetic of this planet is done so well you know before they get there we're told that it's kind of this uh, you know, a, a water planet essentially, and you have uh, Mon Calamari there, and you've got yeah. all of these different aquatic, uh, you know, uh, species from the Star Wars universe kind of all walk- working together. But it's like a little fishing village, and it very much feels yeah. like that in its aesthetic, in kind of how gritty it is. The episode is shot quite darkly in places, um, and it, it kind of definitely feels like he is. Not out of his depth, but he's definitely somewhere he doesn't know. Um, and he has to, you know, try and trust some people to take him, which doesn't really work. Um, but I, I will say one thing that is nice is it, it, it's very much just calling back to like Earth, but like it's clearly a, hmm. basically a port town. Yeah. But uh, we find out throughout the episode it's, it's very much a black market mm-hmm. port like yes. hub. And you're like, that really doesn't make sense in the Star Wars universe that 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 a fishing port town like a, would be the black market hub of of like a part of the galaxy mm. but it makes sense from a very earth perspective because that's what port towns are because that's where how smuggling works yes. but obviously smuggling in Star Wars doesn't work via, on the same like it's it's but it just it works because it works and i just yeah. i really like that they're like yeah it's got smuggly sort of dirty port vibes mm. it can be both yeah <laughs> um and uh yeah he gets into trouble on the ship the um basically they push him and the child into a pit where they have what is some kind of undersea creature yeah, so in the middle of the boat there's like a, a thing of water and they throw the child's basket in there mm-hmm. and then and gets eaten. when he goes goes in to save him they like close a grate over it and there's yep. this giant uh-huh. Something or other. It stays underneath for a while. It does, yeah. But we're we're introduced then to uh, Bo-Katan and uh, two other Mandalorian characters. I don't. I'm not even sure if they gave us their names in the episode. Uh, but this is kind of this is where my Star Wars knowledge uh, uh, wanes a little bit because I know Bo-Katan was in Rebels, 
which is a show. Is it Rebels? She wasn't in Clone Wars, was she? She was in Rebels. No, I think mainly. it was Rebels. Uh, which I is a, which is a show I haven't seen. And it, and again, Clone Wars. I haven't seen the latest and last season of that either. So wherever she comes up, she's already an established character. Played uh, played by Katie Sackoff, who is yeah. kind of uh, famous from Battlestar Galactica. I guess is where most people would know yeah. her from. Um, but uh, played played very well. And they come in, uh, the three Mandalorians come in, make very short work of the uh, the crew of the ship and save the child and um, the Mandalorian. Um, what's his name? Din Jardin, I suppose. Now yeah. that there's multiple, there's more than one Mandalorian, we shouldn't just... Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, we'll yeah, call him the Mando. I mean, we can fine. call him the Mando, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they basically um, take their helmets off and he and he freaks out. He, he, you know, he has a very specific view about kind of what Mandalorians are, what the Kree yeah. is, what their code is, um, and he, he freaks out, he doesn't think that they're Mandalorians, um, or at least there's something in his mind thinking there's, there's something wrong here, and he, he leaves, he, he jetpacks off the ship with a child. Um, so and- I think it's important before he leaves that they say, oh, one of the, like the, the dude who has like the least amount of impact, the, cause mm-hmm. it's two female Mandalorians and, and one male. Uh, yeah, so the dude is just like, oh, he's one of them. Uh, yes. and she, uh, and that's when you find out she, the, what's her name again? Um, Bokasan. Katie Sackhoff. Mm. Bokasan, yeah. Uh, was just like, yeah, there's, uh, we're regular old Mandalorians. There is a, you were clearly raised by, an offshoot cult who say the way he is not taking the helmet off, et cetera, et cetera. That's not all of us. Yes. We're still Mandalorians, which I thought was really interesting. Cause again, what's really great is how they like slowly feed us more information about the culture. Hmm. Like we already know that he's not Mandalorian by blood. He's by Mandalorian by creed. But now we find out that his creed isn't the main Mandalorian one. And mm. it's that struggle. So then he struggles and, and takes off, as you said. Yes. Uh, also, one more thing wanted to mention. Uh, boob armor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I just hate it. Like, armor made for people with breasts has more room in the chest area, but does not have shaped boobs. For multiple reasons. One, that not all boobs are like that. But two, it would just direct almost all the impact into your sternum. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. would just be, it would just be a plate with more space mm-hmm. from, to accommodate the more flesh. Yeah, much more like, and, uh, uh, much more like what Cara Dune wears. You know, she's got a, a sort of a, a, like a chest, not a chest plate, yeah. but some kind of reinforced, yeah, uh, uh, kind of pad that she wears. And yeah. it's, it was so disappointing because I don't think we saw that at all in the Mandalorians, um, uh, that were gathered on Navarro. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And definitely we know that the, like, Smith or whatever mm-hmm. she's called, uh, it is a she and she had, sure she had fur or whatever on the top of her. She had, like, she had other accoutrements. So it was, wasn't like we saw her, um, chest plate clearly, but it definitely wasn't shaped like that. Yeah. And it felt very much like, uh, someone didn't rein in the art department from shitty, like, well, again, tropes. like I don't know how much has come over from Rebels. You know, are they in the same armor, and is it uh, is it a holdover um, from it coming from being a cartoon? That's a, a very good point. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about 
Yeah, well, we, we just know that those decisions haven't been well made in the past, but you're right. God, yeah, the toxic fans would be an uproar if she suddenly didn't look like she did in the thing, especially if it was lack of blue armor. Anyway, I just wanted to bring it up. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Um, and um, not to go into too much detail, uh, but they come to the Mando's aid a second time when he gets back to land and basically say to him, we know where a Jedi is. We can we can help. We know you. you're looking for. A we one. know you're looking yeah. for one. We can help you, but you need to come and help us. And they want to rip off an Empire ship using kind of the black market port uh, to take weapons that were taken from Mandalore. So they want these weapons back, and they convince the Mandalore. They convince Mando to go with them to infiltrate the ship to get their weapons back. And I think it's a very good scene in showing just how capable and effective. Mandalorians Mandalore. are. You know, the only yeah. time we've had this was that kind of almost ambushy sort of uh, standoff on Navarro um, against the underground uh, Mandalorians and the guild uh, when he was trying to sort of escape. That's kind of what we've seen and the yeah. you know and Mando himself. Uh, but this was like it was effective. It was like a little strike team going in to infiltrate through, and they you know stormtroopers and tourists for being rubbish. Um, they land quite a few shots on Mando in a in a certain part, uh, but yeah. they just they just take them apart, and it's really yeah, good so, to see. Yeah, so it was weird because the idea was they these guys are leaving, but for port protocols, they couldn't do a thing. <laughs> they can't take can't off. Remember what? Like basically, yeah, can't take yeah. off. Yeah. So they have to go slowly through the atmosphere until they clear the airspace and then and then go. Um, but somehow this involved leaving. Stormtroopers outside of the ship while they were doing that, like mm-hmm. on the on the rigging, essentially, roughly, and that the doors weren't all sealed. And I was like, "This is dumb." <laughs> I get that you want to show them like jetpacking onto the ship mm. and taking someone out, but this is dumb. This is like just not well thought out. They're about to go into into like they're they're trying to leave the planet. They wouldn't have a guy standing, a couple of guys standing, sort of outside of the ship. And then, what, when they get just outside the atmosphere, quickly duck in, and then they'd seal the doors? Um, I'd rather have seen no one and then land and have to, dig, like, burn their way in. Yeah, or cut a hole through rather or than, yeah. Rather than tossing a couple guys off of the... That's a, not what I wanted to say. Phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, so 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 yeah. So then so then they uh, they get in and they do this big strike team thing, and it's a it's very much kind of like the Mando versus the robots uh, in the present ship episode, except mm. this time it's a bunch of them, and like there's clear, well communicated. They've never fought together, but they're all well trained. So like he's like he's wearing the best guard, they're not. So he like jumps ahead and whatever. And then this uh, one thing I do want to point out was um, this first time we actually see Gideon again. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The reintroduction of the Empire brings Gideon kind of along with them as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so basically, the head of the ships, uh, who's played by this character actor whose name I can't remember, mm. but is very familiar, yeah. um, was like, they've already, you know, they've gone past the cargo, they've done this, done that, done that, and Gideon's like, well, then you're already lost, you know what to do, and he just like, and it's like all, all for the glory of the Empire, some sort of culty phrase, and just kills the two stormtroopers in the in the front seat with him mm. and then he's like and you know he's like gonna crash the ship or something yeah yeah I mean, it's um, it's interesting especially with 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 Gideon uh with Moff Gideon and then with this 
general on the ship that we've moved away from the higher um, kind of the, the the command of the empire being generally British guys. Yeah, uh, you know that that the idea that in the original trilogy they were very much um, you know given British accents. I think there's there's some chat about George Lucas saying you know why he chose that they were all going to be British accented as as kind of the bad guys and stuff. Yeah, but we've moved away from that. We're into much more American sounding, uh, you know, American accented uh, command. Like, I wonder, is it just a casting thing about where it's being filmed and the availability of people and that sort of thing, or does it I speak think- a bit more to how you know the Empire is more fractured, how they're like little cells? of the Empire rather than it being a whole sort of thing and, and people have pulled their way up to being kind of commanders. Although we know Gideon from um, the kind of the chatter in the episodes had something to do with the purge of Mandalorian as well. So he is an established command character at this yeah. time. So yeah, just a, just a little, again, a little kind of thing. They didn't put a British guy as the kind of commander of the ship as a kind of a callback to the structure of the Empire. Yeah, I mean, so I think part of that is just um, uh, in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, there was very much a white actor only thing. Um, But, like, we know from Star Wars lore that it's about humans being better than other aliens. Mm. And so I think it's very smart putting a male person of color, because it's still very, very, like, patriarchal, it seems like. There's very few women, but, like, not giving him a, I guess, Coruscantian accent, presumably, mm. or whatever, like, not, but, like, making him still a him, and him being older, and, like, it it fits all the Empire checkboxes while being more woke than its predecessors sure. in a very casual way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, it's fine he doesn't have a British accent. Cool. Because, uh, like, that's one of the things that people kind of mock. Yes, yeah. Right, because it's like, why are they all British? What does British mean in this world? Right, and it's like, fine, we won't do that. But we'll like, so I think it's very effortlessly by sort of sticking to older man of mm-hmm. authority and human, all human. Um, while is it just fits the empire context, you know, bat and eye. But then, you know, outside of the fourth wall, you're like, this is progressive casting in a regressive role. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's very smartly done. Um, the other thing they, that I'll say uh, just about the end of this episode is that Bo-Katan wants to take – is apparently the rightful leader of yes. Mandalore. Yeah, or yeah. claims it. She's like, I need these weapons to retake Mandalore, mm-hmm. which is so – like because originally they were just going to like throw the cargo out. And then she's like, no, no, we're not we're – we're taking the ship. I want yep. the ship and I want the cargo all intact. And – um Nijian was uh, like was just like no. What are you doing? And he literally says, "You're changing the terms of of the deal," yeah. which is like, and 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 in my head, I just heard Darth Vader be like, "Pray don't change the the terms any further." And but it's Bo-Katan, and she says and said, "This is the way." Yes, yes. And you you just feel that double-edged ver- notion of that line, mm. such that they do the iconic line, and in this like in this circumstance, she says something equally impactful, though it's not the iconic rejoinder. I thought that was such good writing. Yes, yeah, um, very much, yeah. 
and then she basically basically she she the last thing on this we'll say is just um she's wants to know about the dark saber yes yeah she, um, she which gives us an from something she said she has to have it to be able to actually claim the throne yeah it's it's unclear she sort of says she says she needs it to retake Mandalore yeah but it doesn't actually say to what end mm-hmm. Presu- like whether it's just a this will be a rallying thing or this is like the sword in the stone. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know how important this is, but it's very important to her. That's sort of all we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, if you haven't watched the cartoons and stuff, you get a name for that badass vibro bladey thing, uh, which kind of looks like a lightsaber, kind of looks like a vibro blade. Yeah. I, I don't know the lore. I'm happy to find out from the show mm-hmm. um, that, that he had at the end of the last series. Um, cool. Any last thoughts about the siege? Uh, no, no. I liked it. Uh, yep. Uh, I forgot, uh, the one thing we do see is they do get a clip of the, like, the lab scientist talking oh, yes, about they do. the high N- M count of the child's blood. And of course, those of us who have seen episode one know that that's midichlorians. Uh, and so there, it seems very clear that they're trying to inject other people with high midichlorian blood, which is great because that's a thing that I've been saying since episode one. Why wouldn't people just do this if it was in your blood? Surely you could transplant this. I hate this. And now they're like <laughs> owning that argument. It's like they've, they've got, they've got scientists worked on it. Maybe it just never could be done up until now because of whatever reasons. But now that scientist has made some breakthroughs, but he needed more blood. Mm-hmm. And we find out that, and he's like, I oh, must be old because, uh, Gideon's dead. They're like, no, it was three days ago. So we know the scientist is alive and has a lab. And we know Gideon's alive. We knew that, but now Mando knows it. So that, that happened in the fourth episode, didn't it? Oh shit. Yeah. I yes. jumped. Yes. That happened That's in the fourth why. episode. Once yeah, they yeah, get yeah. into the base, we can yes, precursor yeah. that. So I mean, yeah, they, they, uh, so the, the, the thing I meant to touch was the end of last episode. Uh, Bo-Katan says, go find Ahsoka. Yep. Who's the main character, one of the main characters from Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. I just jumped my reveals in my head. Um, but he, he takes a little detour. Yeah. Before going to Sona and goes back to Navarro. Yeah, because his ship's still busted. So he's yes. like, and so he ends this episode being like, how about we go visit some old friends? Goes back to, to Mandela, to Navarro so that he can make it to Corvus. Uh, and that's where basically they've really made Navarro a little lot better. There's even a school, mm. which is weird, but there's a school. Cara Dune and Grief Karga are there and they're like, yeah, we'll fix it. Do you want to help us while you're here? Cause it'll take a while. Essentially they're like, yeah, we'll fix it for free. We, your, your credit's good, but also we need help on this adventure, which is again, such a grief way of saying, <laughs> you know how this is getting paid. <laughs> yeah. And it's all like you could you watch that and not knowing the subtext, you'd be like, "Fair enough, they're both being friends." It's like, no, there's a transaction happening here. And again, credit to the writers because it's not; it's all subtext. Mm. So you could read it either way. But like, just knowing what kind of person grief is, you just like you get it. Um, yes. So basically, they're like, "Look, there's one base. There's one Empire base left on the planet. Um, we thought it was kind of abandoned." Uh, that's where, you know, all those shiny troops came from when Gideon got, yep. got us at the end of last season. They all came from there. If we get rid of this base, 
the Empire's off Navarro, it'll be really free, and we can make this place even better, and look how good it's be, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so they go, and they get callback character number four, um, which is the um, the guy we talked about who was gonna had a tasty gland, um, the water species guy who was from scene one of episode one, series one, is now basically working his dad off by working for 100, 300 years yeah, as yeah. an accountant, essentially, which, you know, boy, does it feel weird doing um, indentured servitude as a laugh. And it's tagged back bunch, a bunch where it's it like, is. I don't want to do this. I'll yeah. take 30 years off of your thing. Mm. doesn't matter. I'll be dead in 50, and I'm never going to let you off those 50, so oh, I really didn't like it. Yep, yep. And it's, like I said, it's happened several times in the episode. I'm like, ah, oh, guys, like, it's not a joke. There are, this literally happens to people today. Let alone it's a heinous practice that's happened throughout time. Uh, I don't know. It, it, but, um. I mean, it, it kind so, of speaks to, it, it speaks to the nature of, of grief still, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah. even though he seems to have sort of stepped up in terms of leading the town and stuff rather than just leading the guild. Uh, and, and kind of turning the place around, there is still that sense of kind of darkness from him uh, as well. Yeah. That he is still a little bit of a scumbag uh, in the way that he treats other yeah. characters, all for his own ends, basically. Yeah. I just I felt like playing it for like so that I get, but yep. making it making this guy very comical and him being like, I guess I got to do it because I got mm. I'm going to save thirty years off of my indentured servitude. I'm like, it really hits poorly. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so they go to this base, um, and Mando is a little OP, and while they're trying to figure out how to, like, cut into this base, Mando just goes to the top with his jetpack, beats people up, and unseals the door, and then they take an elevator to the top of the base where he landed. And I'm like, is it that easy to get on that deck? I felt, I felt that whole sequence was really contrived. Mm. It's like, why don't we just have them jetpack? But then we want them all to be together. Cool. Apparently, as soon as you enter that place, there's just an elevator that goes straight to the jetpack, but no alarms go off, or to the deck, but no alarms go off because no one's figured this out. It just, it was weird. And then the, the, there's this apparently throwaway line about this cool shuttle or like troop transport. Yes, this old, like, we're gonna old blo- school troop transport. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to blow this thing up. And then they like basically go into and remake it the like tractor beam turnoff scene from uh, A New Hope, except it's indentured servitude blue boy who's afraid of heights, pushing buttons and making it apparently self destruct. Yeah, did he just turn it off? Maybe, and it had yeah, a reaction or something. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they really throw away um, fights to get back out. And they're, they're sort of, and then they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? We're back. We went back to the top again for no reason. Uh, now we're getting shot at and it's like, cool. Well, I'll just, uh, so you're right. So they tell Mando to go ahead. Well, so, so this is, this is, this is why he goes ahead. So they, they find out that, um, it is, uh, as you were talking earlier, that it is a lab. This is where they've been doing their experiments and why they wanted the child, why they were on Navarro, why the exchange was happening there. So they could take the blood from the child, uh, to put into other beings, basically. Uh, and you find out that it's a lab that actually Gideon is still alive. The recording was only a few days old. 
And Mando kind of freaks out and is like, right, I've got to go. Like, they, And they say, look, go ahead. Go and get the child. Yeah. Make sure he's sort of safe. So Mando disappears off for you know, about what, five, ten minutes of the of the episode, roughly, while it's the other three of them, Cara Dune, Grief, and the blue fish what? guy um, trying which to I, escape. Yeah, which I liked, except because... I mean, the problem is by making him so badass, you're like, okay, well, he's like very good at shooting, mm-hmm. etc. And so, it's like either you—it's it, hard when you're in these group shots because it's like either he's always winning, yep. and then you know he's going to win, uh, or he suddenly can't, and then you're like, well, why can't he? He's been able to do this all the time. And like one of the problems with having him so OP in the rest of the series, so like they overcome that with the just too many spiders. He's, yep. Every shot he does against the spiders hits a spider, and it doesn't matter. Right. And in this, it's like he's got more important things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get the three of them. Cars like we're going to go get we're going to steal this troops transport and drives it off of the outside. And it lands on poor blue guy's speeder. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you saw it coming and he's like, no, my speeder. Like, it's fine. Let's go. And they go. And then grief is put into um, the gunnery seat. And there's three um, stormtroopers. Storm scouts, yeah, uh, following them, and I thought this was very interesting because you've never seen speeders go off a cliff, mm. but they go off the edge just like the giant troops transport. But instead, they go off slightly slower and kind of just ride down, coast down, yeah, yeah. yeah and you, I was like, you, so there was there were five. I think there was five oh, yeah, starting right. off, and two of them crash into each other on this. Oh, so it right. still still shows yeah. the sort of the inefficiency of using the speed bikes in this sort of but, way. Yeah, it, it, didn't think it was possible, right? Mm. Like, as far as we knew, speeders were kind of just like a, boy, these can't do level changes very well, but boy, can they go fast so long as it's a low-grade incline. Uh, and then they fall up, fly at them, and, like, Grief is not a good shot. He's yeah. an okay shot. <laughs> yeah. Gets one of them, you know, finally, like, clears them out, and then then it cuts to TIE Fighters taking off. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was just Gideon's has a new TIE Fighter, because when he... If you remember, in the end of... Season one, they had his TIE fighter land by as it was coming down, it basically turned like turned its wings out as like a landing platform into basically an X. It's like, oh, they they ripped off X wings for TIE fighters. Mm. Um which is so cool because these are TIE fighters, but they're new TIE fighters. Yeah. It shows an evolution of the TIE fighter, and it shows that they're like, wait. We can kind of do our own riff on the X-Wing, but hilariously, the X-Wing, when it's in flat, like non-X mode, that's its default takeoff and fly mode. And when it's in attack mode, it X's out to have better aim or whatever with the laser turrets on all ends of the X. There's more maneuverability, perhaps, going to the X for to allow for sharp turns and shit. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, it doesn't probably doesn't make sense. Um, But in this one, it's like, no, no, the, the, the giant TIE fighter... T-shape thing is the TIE fighter, mm. and then but it, if it needs to land, it'll just cock out, and suddenly these things can be way more efficient and maneuverable in atmosphere when they used to always have to land and uh, or take off from ships. Mm. As far as I recall, at least in the old extended universe, which I know was thrown out, blah blah blah. But yeah, it just it made it really cool. So we got these TIE fighters, and again, because these this is like the B team now. They struggle with three Tie Fighters, and yes. and, and, and it's good because like it's, it's so well done because you're like, um, 
I like these people don't matter for the overarching plot, right? Like Mando and Child gone. Yep. But because we care about them, we like we don't want them to die and they're struggling and you're invested even though like this entire chase sequence sort of doesn't matter. Mm. Um and so they like they're in this valley and Again, Grief is shooting the mountainside to try and get rocks to fall on the TIE fighters because he, he knows he can't hit them. Really cool idea. I wish he had, like, he clips one of them, basically, so right he, at the end. So, no, I think there were four TIE fighters. I, I think he gets one of them. Yeah. He then, he then clips a second, which then crashes into the back of the transport, takes out the gunnery the gun, seat. yeah. And they are kind of just left uh, open to being shot. And yeah. the TIE fighters... Speed past them, ready to like, double back and have a clear yeah. shot on them, and then suddenly you get the um, the swell and the razor the, crest appears. Yeah, and and, and Man- Mando. So this was really cool flying. So Mando basically chases one out, almost out of the atmosphere. Mm. Finally gets it, and then he does this weird air brake maneuver where Drops his engines in. just stop, yeah. and then he flips, does a one eighty, and just plummets down at the second uh-huh. one to take it out. Which was really odd because they were both shooting at each other and spinning well, he, and missing so each other. The tie fight wasn't spinning, I think, and he was yeah, sort he was. of spinning towards them. And you know, it's not until he gets really close where he still gets a, a shot off on it. Uh, and then sort of speeds through the the, the wreckage the, that he's just, yeah, that just which, exploded. Yeah, it, and that again felt very much like um, I think it's the rickety and the like clutch piloting that felt very Firefly to me mm. rather than Star Wars, yeah. which I'm here for, right? Like I thought it was it's a nice tone because again, why Firefly is a space western, and you feel the janky just squeezing it out stuff i think some Mm. parts of this season so far have been a little too that was easy but i get the i like the vibe they're going for yeah yeah and and so yeah so so now basically uh yay ship's fixed we're leaving and then and so we found out about dr pershing and the m count stuff and we know we're looking for ahsoka so we're going to head over to corvus and then it cuts to Gideon. Mm. Or actually, it shows someone talking, an Imperial person talking to someone. Yes. And it's, we've planted a tracking device on the Razor Crest. So the, one of the mechanics that was fixing the Razor Crest yeah. is an Imperial agent. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Razor and then it, she, she goes and reports directly to Moff Gideon. And he's in this weird room with, kind of looks like, People in mobile in like yeah, whether suits, it's like suits in, against the yeah, wall. Yeah, I was like, are these like clones? Like, is this like like you get the feeling that this must be the people being injected with the M count yes. or something? But you can't tell because they're all in weird suits. You're like, these are going to be some weird badass warriors, presumably. Uh, who knows? Who knows what yeah. this is going to be? But it's very interesting to see a slightly different take on something in Star Wars as well. You know we. So we've had clones. Vader is obviously in a in a suit, which is more for life support for him, really, than anything. Um, Gideon is in a similar sort of suit to Vader. You know, he's got that chest piece on the front. Um, yeah, big sort of pauldrons and his cloak that come down. And these look, you know, again, is it that they're having a higher M count put into them? But they have struggled with um, keeping anything alive. So are these like semi-life support sort of suits? 
that keep the user alive in some way, but they're, you know, a bit more badass. They've got a higher M count, which makes them, I don't know, uh, faster, better reflexes, stronger. Yeah. Whatever that is going to do to them. I hope that they don't give them powers. I hope that having a higher M count in a being doesn't give them force powers, but maybe just makes them a bit more attuned to it to give them better attributes, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but we're starting to get into what we want, yeah. aren't we? I was going to say, I think that's a good way, place to stop, uh, to, to move to our, our final bit, which is just, what, what do you hope for the rest of the series? Um, I, I, I really thought, from how battered the Razor Crest was getting, that we might have seen a new ship. Um, and I still think maybe we will, you know, great for toy sales, Lego sales for Star Wars, give the Mandalorian a new ship kind of towards the end of the season. Because the Rays Crest has just been battered so, so much. Um, we know that he's on his way to meet uh, Ashoka Tano. And I think from what I've seen, she is definitely coming. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of very itching to watch the next episode, which I'll probably do this evening. Uh, but we're going to get a little bit of Jedi in. The man Mando will understand that a little bit more. But it would be good to see what we've had in these first four episodes um, kind of come to, come to fruition in the last four. And I know they did a, you know, in the first season, it was the first two episodes were kind of linked and the last two episodes were kind of linked. And I want to see something maybe... We've had our individual episodes with their linking elements taking us through but maybe now we have a bit more of an extended thing it doesn't have to be all four maybe just the last three lead into something so we get a resolution with what's happening with Gideon we get a little bit more about um, you know the Mandalorians and, and what uh, Bo-Katan uh, is doing we get a little bit more of maybe what's happened to kind of the Jedi and those who are kind of on the run still um uh, and those, you know, hiding out and to see sort of the situation that she is in, maybe see the situation that another, another Jedi or a Padawan or something is in as well. That it's not just like, yeah, we know that, uh, Obi-Wan was over here doing his thing on the, on the run at some point. Uh, Ashoka is here doing whatever she's doing. That it's not just, you know, the, the two of them. Um, but um, we also have that element of the, um, how canon they're going to be, but with the EA, um, Jedi Fallen Order game with Cal, right? Um, yeah, him being a Padawan, but also hiding out. You know, we know that they're around and that they're about. So it'd be interesting to see how they tie that in. If they do, you know, they, it might just be his Ashoka, and she does something with the child, and there's something that happens where they have to stay together for a third season. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I guess so. I, I, I mean. The vibe of the show is they can't hang out with Ahsoka for too long, but obviously Ahsoka is a big name in non-movie Star Wars. Yes, so I'm hoping for um... yeah, I think I, I'm hoping for something similar to you. Like it, there are eight episodes a, a season, and the two I think we've gotten now that it's more developed and there's more of a through like we see the through line of this arc mm. uh, I don't want it to just be a two part finale I'd yeah. rather it be uh, three or the rest of the series doing being a little more concerted and I feel mm. like they're guiding us that way because even our throwaway episodes had an, a mini arc which was delivering the the eggs and the yes, passenger yeah and like and like the even the heiress uh, 
was started with the end of that, like, like we delivered the 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 eggs and and the and the frog lady, but then they it wasn't the end of that until the end of that episode that we actually said goodbye to them mm. because his adventure was to take care of. Can you guys please take care of him? Because I'm going on a dangerous mission yes, on yes. this flight, right? And so we see the the frog lady really was three episodes. Mm. Um, and, and of course we see him trying to probably eat the baby tadpole thing. Um, but like, it seems like they're trying to like. It, it feels a lot more like there's like this this mini arc that just sort of ended, and like that led to like it's like find someone to help. Like the search for someone to help guide us. It seems like the next episode we're going to meet Ahsoka, and then it, and then the, that sort of seems naturally. It can't just be one thing. It can't just be like a one-off episode. So I'm hoping that it's it doesn't it doesn't have to be big, huge main plot mm. all linked. But I'm hoping for a clear arc of the last four episodes rather yes, than yeah. like 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 what we ended up with episode five in the last season was just kind of like. Mm-hmm. That could easily not have been in the series, and yeah. I wouldn't have noticed, right? Um, you couldn't do that with any of these because they've thought out this this thread through them all, and so I'm hoping I'm hoping uh, for that basically. Yeah, nice. I'm really enjoying it. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely take some time today to catch up to the last one, and then uh, I look forward to chatting with you about all four in a few weeks' time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who knows what uh, opportunity we'll get to record over the Christmas break because obviously this is going to end in about a month's time isn't it so at the right at the end of the year so maybe it'll be the first episode back uh, in in the new year but yeah in about a month we'll we'll wrap up our chat on um, on those other four episodes the yeah yeah perfect awesome uh, thanks, Ben. If people wanted to get a hold of you to tell you why you're obviously wrong about the Mandalorian or any other thing, <laughs> how would they reach you? <laughs> I'm at Nova underscore 47 almost everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I'm at the Omniarch also almost everywhere. Uh, we are, um, you can see the other things that are done on the Out of Lives network at outoflives.net. You can tweet us at outoflivesnet. Mm hmm. You can, if you haven't been watching uh, live on Twitch, you could do that for this and other shows on Out of Lives Network, twitch.tv slash Out of Lives Network. Um, yeah, uh, and so uh, other things this week are uh, I will be playing some new game every Tuesday at lunch for first looks. Um, uh, we record Tanked Up at 8 p.m. British Standard Time. Um, Every Tuesday, uh, it's the podcast all about beer and video games. Uh, Wednesdays at noon, Ben plays a thing. Mm-hmm. I think I might, I might return back to Curse of the Old Gods again this week uh, nice. for something to play. I haven't played it since we spoke about it last week, actually, saying that I was going to play it a lot. I just haven't had the time, so I might get into it for an hour then. Sweet. Uh, and, of course, on Friday evenings, uh, there is Radari's Insomnia stream, uh, this week he just finished up uh, Little Hope, Little Hope. Mm. yeah, which uh, he did the year, week previously. So uh, check out the vods on Twitch if you want. Perfect. Um, and yeah, uh, we have been not tanked up. Oh, it's hard <laughs> to say not that. Uh, this has been Geek Out Weekly uh, for another week. I've been Adele. I'm Ben. Bye. Ciao. www.outoflives.net <laughs>